You know, I hear frequently from women who are struggling with depression, and I also hear a lot from wives whose husbands are struggling with anxiety or depression. And I'm glad that a couple of wife savers have asked me to address this topic specifically in a podcast because it's given me the opportunity to go back and talk to some of my students who have actually dealt with this mental illness in their marriage. And I learned a lot and we've come up with some solutions that we hope will be helpful to you. Bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Welcome to the Wife Savers Podcast where multi-award-winning author and global marriage educator, Ramona Zabriskie, provides answers to your real wife questions. Our goal is to help you appreciate your womanhood, prioritize your personal development, and craft a powerful partnership with the man in your life. Hi, I'm Hannah Allen, and I'm proud to introduce my parents, Ramona and Dale Zabriskie. And yes, this is how they talk all the time. Let's listen. Hi, this is Dale Zabriskie. Happy again to be here with Ramona again. Aw, that's sweet. Twice, twice happy, or tw- I guess twice again, right? No, what are you talking about? Said I'm happy again to be with you again. Oh, again? <laughs> From the Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> here we are. The important thing is you're feeling happy? Yeah, I am. I am feeling good. I'm... Really? Even after all our travels lately and... You're in a lot of pain. We got some back surgery coming up. Yeah, put that on your calendar. So you gotta, you're trying hard to stay positive. Well, that's the and thing. I really appreciate that's it. That's the whole idea. You gotta, you gotta work through it. So yeah, that most things in life are like that. Yeah, you I can think, just kind of work through yeah, it. You keep going. You but, got like a date that you're gonna get to or through. I see. Type thing, you know, where you can okay. focus on. All right, but imagine. What it would feel like not to have a date. Like it was like you're not feeling good. There's something really tough going on or you don't really have an explanation for feeling bad. Mm-hmm. And there's no end date on it. No one can tell you around this corner things are going to feel better. That would be really depressing. Yeah. You think? Well, I, you know, I feel like I maybe have been there somewhat really over the years. Okay. Um, where you feel like, will this ever end? Or, uh, you know, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't mm-hmm. feel good. And I don't know why. Okay. Type thing. So do you think you've had periods of real depression? And when I say that, I'm talking about a clinical kind of depression. Well, I've never been diagnosed as such. No, you haven't. Um, but and, I, and I you think it's true for most people. They probably go we can through think periods. Of, we can think of some time in our life that uh, that we felt that way. Yeah. Well, depression as a clinical sort of depression is it's isolating. Let's put it that way. I think that's a that's a good word because you want to be alone. You know. Yes. And you feel like nobody understands. Yes. 
Right. Okay, so how does that leave your partner feeling? Mm -hmm. And that's where our throw me a lifesaver question. And actually, I'm going to use two questions um, that are hitting this subject from two different points of view. Well, it's a and fairly hear, consistent topic, well, listen, right? The reason, yes, the reason we're talking about it is because I do get asked about it so often that um, I think it's worth, you know, addressing. So here's the two different ways of, or two different kinds of concerns. One real life wrote me, my spouse suffers from negativity slash depression. I love him, but how do I enjoy time with him and feel connected? Mm -hmm. See, there's that mm -hmm. isolation thing. She's feeling isolated too. How do I even enjoy him? How do I enjoy time with him and feel connected, which we know us wives, that's really a priority for us. We want to feel connected. And it goes to explaining just about all of our behavior. <laughs> yeah. And so if, you're, if your spouse is not interested in anything or and appears is very to be disconnected. Yeah, not interested right. in you. Right. Right. Exactly. That's, that's very, very difficult yes, things to that are sustain. important to you even he doesn't care about. It mm -hmm. doesn't seem to care about. So her question ends mm -hmm. with a four-letter word. Starts, starts with H. <laughs> yeah. Could be and... any number of four-letter words <laughs> with an exclamation point after it's it. It's hard to say help, and so I call it a four-letter word. <laughs> then there's this question this is from a different wife she says how do i bring up to my husband that i think he's depressed mm, so good. they're at the very beginning of yeah. figuring this thing out seeing signs that are concerning exactly. and that's probably one of the hardest things is how do you talk to somebody about it right right so that's what we're going to get into because you know that's my forte how do you talk to someone okay. about it? how do you talk to your spouse about it um something as grave and depressing you know this is a difficult topic mm -hmm. so um first of all i want to i want these dear women to know how much how much my heart swells with compassion for them we you know we fall one of the reasons we fall in love with our guys is because they have this kind of excitement about them at least that uh falling in love phase is exciting and we appreciate something in their masculine nature. I call it masculine zest. And all I mean by that is, you know, he, we love the way that, um, when he's really at his best, there's this energy about mm -hmm. him that makes him ambitious and want to work hard for you. And he dreams big for you, you know, all of that. Right? Yeah, and that, and that we've talked about this in the past that that can be part of courtship and and yes. where the guys trying trying to really get engaged and it's <laughs> yes. exciting time. Yes, and, and his then, hormones are yeah, skyrocketing. Raging. That's right. yeah. <laughs> but even you know, I love that about you today. You've got that kind of I call it masculine zest. I but what call happens? it raging hormones at this point? <laughs> no, the opposite kind. Of but what happens when he? Yeah, it's opposite that. of that. Or... Right. When you sense that there's something intangible interfering with his ability to work and play and even love. You know, you can't really touch it. Yeah, you, you can't put, put a finger it. on it. It's hard right. to... Right. Well, I, I did a little bit of research. Now, let's say I did a lot of research so that I could answer these questions. In the past, I've had to answer this question. And one of the 
best sources for all the reading material and stuff that I looked into was from Andrew Solomon, who is a professor of clinical psychology at Columbia uh, University. And you see him a lot in the New Yorker and New York Times. And anyway, one, I'm going to quote him quite a bit today, but one of uh, the things that I think we need to clarify right up front is the difference between depression, grief, and sadness. Because, mm. you know, for instance, this one wife saver is asking us, how do I bring up to my husband that I think yeah. he's depressed? So right. she doesn't know for sure. So maybe this will help. He says, Andrew Solomon, there are three things people tend to confuse, depression, grief, and sadness. Grief is explicitly reactive. Mm. If you have mm. a loss and you feel incredibly unhappy, and then six months later, you are still deeply sad, but you're functioning a little better. It's probably grief. But, and, and, you know, we talk about the stages of grief. Well, exactly. People go right. through, you learn you have cancer right, or somebody right. dies or something. But there's something of a stage, like you say, yeah. or a progression mm -hmm. to it. And it will probably ultimately resolve itself in some measure. All right. If you experience a catastrophic loss and you feel terrible and six months later you can barely function at all, then it probably a depression that was triggered by the catastrophic circumstances. Mm, interesting. The trajectory tells us a great deal. People think of depression as being just sadness. It's much, much, too much sadness, much, too much grief at far too slight a cause. Oh, so it's not commensurate with the event, basically. Right. 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 Exactly. In fact, he, he makes the point. Or the trigger, maybe, is a word. One of the most enlightening points for me was this. The opposite of depression is not happiness, but vitality. Hmm. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So energy. Because you and I are not depressed, no. but we get really sad. Yeah, or you're not, you don't, you know. We're not happy, happy all, all the time. time. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we sound like it on the podcast, <laughs> but we're definitely not happy yeah, all I don't, the time. I don't go around and ask you, are you happy? You know, right, 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 right. No, that would be but, bad. If you ever ask me if I'm happy, I will yeah. probably cry on the spot. That's, right. That's the wrong thing to ask But you get up in the morning, you go at it, yes. you do your thing. Yes. You, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what we're going to address now is actual depression, a clinical kind of depression, which doesn't just go away because you want it to. Yeah, right. That's a, I think that's a really clear, mm -hmm. simple way of defining it. It doesn't go away just because you want it to. And of course, there are behavioral and physical uh, outward manifestations and symptoms that most of us are probably very familiar with and we could go down. But something we can't see that's going on are changes that I guess you could see if you could cut open someone's brain. <laughs> Or if you had x-ray vision, you would see a smaller frontal lobe and hippocampus volumes. I'm just telling you what I read. That's, uh, that actually changes yeah. in the brain. Yes. Wow. In a real depressed, kind of depressed clinically state. depressed uh -huh. state. And on a micro scale, 
we couldn't see it with the naked eye, you would see an you could they can detect i'm sorry abnormal depletion or transmission of certain neurotransmitters mm -hmm. like serotonin dopamine mm -hmm. and specific changes in the rem and slow wave parts of your sleep cycle and hormone abnormalities abnormalities such as high cortisol deregulation of thyroid hormones interesting so the world of endocrinology really plays Don't a part here. Don't ask me to say that word. Hormones. I'm so bad at big words. Endocrinology. <laughs> Nor could yes. you spell that word, yes. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give away all my weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> well, what Interesting. Should, yeah, but, yeah. But even knowing all of that, they still don't know what causes it. Yeah, right. It. No, they, they see really the results don't. or the. Exactly. They can say these things are pointers or whatever indicators, but the cause. The is cause the is some kind, the best they can come up with is it's some kind of complex interaction between genes and the environment. Hmm. And there's no tool that you can use to predictably, you know, predict. Yeah, right. Indicate. When and where it's going to show up. Mm hmm. So it just could pop up for any of us at any time and no one can really tell you why, which <laughs> is kind of depressing yes, in and of itself, exactly. isn't it? It is. It's really wow, difficult. Wow, wow, wow. So that's what's going on inside. What does it actually feel like? All right. So we're talking to, we're trying to answer wives whose husbands are in a depressed state. But this, we could reverse it from he and she to she and he, right? <laughs> we could have a male listener who has a wife that mm -hmm. he feels is Or we could depressed. have a, a, a wife who's listening who feels depressed. Uh, exactly. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hopefully she'll have her husband listen to this because we've got some <laughs> coping strategies here for both of them. All right. But first, I really want to understand how the partner who is feeling the depression how it really feels. So I like this inside look from Andrew Solomon, who himself, obviously, is a victim of depression. Mm. He says, everything there was to do seemed like too much work. I would come home and I would see the red light flashing on my answering machine. And instead of being thrilled to hear from my friends, I would think, oh, what a lot of people that is to call back. Yeah, right. Or I would decide I should have lunch. And then I would think, Oh, but I have to get the food out and put it on a plate and cut it up and chew it up and swallow it. Mm. And it felt like, to me, like the stations of the cross. Mm. Wow. Wow. Just everything was just so overwhelming. So there it is, the lack of vitality, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. the will to do things. He goes on to say, and one of the things that often gets lost in discussions of depression is that you know it's ridiculous. Hmm. You know it's ridiculous while you're experiencing it. You know that most people manage to listen to their messages from their brain and eat lunch and organize themselves to take a shower and go out the front door and that it's not a big deal. And yet you are nonetheless in its grip and you are unable to figure out any way around it. And so he says, talking about his own journey, I began to feel myself doing less and thinking less and feeling less that's it's really fascinating because sometimes you i think we tend to look at people who exhibit depression and maybe they're close to us or whatever mm -hmm. and we're judgmental and we think yeah, snap out of it snap out of it or whatever but what's what's really interesting i think in that is that the 
his own personal and and also I'm sure other studies is that people they know they're there they know that it's stupid this or is wrong. yeah it's, that this just doesn't make any sense I should I should be able to change Which probably and, makes you just feel worse yeah that you can't that's the point it's mm-hmm. just this cycle that uh, yeah. they end up in yikes yeah. yikes. Well, there's another aspect of depression, unfortunately, and that's anxiety. Sure. So depression and anxiety have their own set of symptoms and challenges. And so it's not like you're, it's not frustrating enough (laughs) that you're living with one, but research shows that it's not unusual to experience the two of them simultaneously. Mm. So Andrew Solomon says, and then the anxiety set in. If you told me that I'd have to be depressed, oh, this goes to what we were talking about right at the top. If you told me that I'd have to be depressed for the next month, I would say, well, as long as I know it'll be over in November, I can mm, do it. Mm-hmm, but right. if you said to me, you have to have acute anxiety. But if you said to me, I'm not reading this right. You have to have acute anxiety for the next month. Oh, okay. Okay. Here we go. He's saying, if you told me I had to be depressed for a month, I could do it. But mm-hmm. if you told me I have acute anxiety for the next month, there, sorry, I, I, I was misinterpreting it. He said, I would rather slit my wrist mm. than go through it. Oh, wow. It was the feeling all the time, like that feeling you have if you're walking and you slip or trip and the ground is rushing up at you. But instead of lasting half a second, the way that does... It lasted for six months. (laughs) Oh, that's an interesting imagery. It's a sensation of being afraid all the time, but not even knowing what it is you're afraid of. Hmm. And it was at that point that I began to think that it was just too painful to be alive. And that the only reason not to kill oneself was so as not to hurt others. That's anxiety. Wow. So, yeah, I think just having a greater appreciation of what goes on for people who are struggling like this, um, that's that's really overwhelming to think about. Does it make you, you know? feel a little more compassionate? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good. I mean, for me, the last thing I have is social anxiety or, or whatever, right? right? Which it's a lot hard. of people are challenged yeah. with. For me, because, you know, I get up, I talk to a thousand people at one time or I can right. talk to one person and yeah. I like settings like that. So it's hard sometimes to, uh, empathize. to to empathize or visualize what that would be like. So that is very powerful. Yeah. Just think, remember the sidewalk rushing yeah, coming up at up you, at you mm. for six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, what I hear from the women that I love working with Um, who are experiencing this in their marriages, they describe a man, and this is one of the signs for me when I'm like trying to help them figure out what in the heck is going on, is the male masks are in full force. And Mm -hmm. we have talked Mm -hmm. about the male masks in other episodes Mm -hmm. of the podcast, where he puts on a mask to cover up what's going on in his inner world emotionally. So maybe he's picking a fight with her all the time. Or he pulls away, shuts down, you know, he turns off the stonewalling kind of thing. Or there's even the male mask when he acts like, he talks like everything is normal, even when you can tell mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. is so not right. 
and you're trying to get to the heart of it and he'll say what do you mean i'm just uh, everything fine you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nothing drives a woman crazier because she has that innate sense she can feel emotion that is not necessarily articulate well and for couples who have spent a lot of time together years together you really become in tune when things are right. not the the normal that you know that you've right. created in your space. So we here, here we have the wife saying, "How do I talk to my husband and yeah. tell him that I think he's depressed?" Right? Because right. she knows he's probably going to pull out one of those male masks mm-hmm. on her. How she's supposed to break through there? Mm-hmm. So how does that make it feel? How does how does she feel? We've talked about now, or the. Not he, she. Remember, we the, can do the she, person he, but who's struggling with depression. The partner. Yeah. How does their partner feel? Well, what I hear from women is, why is he taking it out on me? Doesn't he love me? Hmm. This is especially true when he's picking the fight to cover up the depression. Why won't he share himself with me? Am I worthless to mm-hmm. him? These are the mm-hmm. questions that are going through your mind. Why does he try to make me into the bad guy? Am I the cause of his problems? Yeah. I mean, you can see when it's not clear and all these signals or conversations are going and these, like you say, these masks come up of where her brain in our, in our Naturally example here is going to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like um, standing on the sidelines and women hate standing on the sidelines <laughs> when it comes to relationships and the ones that are important to us. We want to be right in the thick of it. We want to be, we want mm-hmm. to know what's going on in heads and hearts. So standing on the sidelines when a, your partner is battling depression is a very helpless feeling, a helpless experience. You feel confused, frustrated, overwhelmed because you feel like every attempt you make to help yeah, is rejected. Just, re, yeah, not just and doesn't work. And that's what work. she's afraid of. I think, true, not just ineffective, but ignored. rejected or ignored, ignored is harder is to deal worse. with. Ignored is even worse, right. And then you start to feel, maybe I am responsible. Maybe it is me that's causing him to be so negative, you know. And, oh boy, ladies or <laughs> could be men, you're not alone. You're not alone. I hear this so much. So again, I'll say it is a very isolating illness. So, I, 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 you know what? We left something out here. Depression, yes, we think of someone who's negative or, you know, oh, much, 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 much too sad mm-hmm. for much, mm-hmm. much too little reason, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Hopeless, discouraged, but it can also include persistent anger. So, oh, I work with a lot of women who describe a husband who just seems angry all the time, Mm. on edge all the time, who blames everybody else, who's always on the kids, who's, who's just so temperamental. And it's hard, you know, you just feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time when you're around someone who flares up so easily like that. So that, that can also be a sign of depression. An indicator of depression. Yeah, it's one of those male masks. Okay. Of course, there's social withdrawal, lack of interest in pleasure and that's pretty common and what a woman will notice always is that he doesn't seem to have joy in anything he's lost the joy Mm -hmm. of his work Mm -hmm. lost joy in the relationships even joy in the children yeah everything's a problem the children become aggravation yeah right instead of something that he looks Mm -hmm. forward to doing and being with and watching so all right so what is she gonna do how is she gonna respond we know 
that all things wife savers come down to how you choose to right respond rather than react react so she has the choice her internal logic and it's something you really have to learn and work at but she can react with resentment frustration and hopelessness or she can choose to respond that's proactively making a choice with compassion all right so if we're going to respond with compassion number one Remember the male fears, and we have touched on them in other episodes of the podcast. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the male fears. I would love to teach you, listener, in depth about the male fears. Uh, It's just so key to understanding how important the way you treat him really is, and when you treat him I'm going to say, let's see, not optimally, you set off the male fears and make things harder on yourself than you need to be. So anyway, that's just a little pitch to please join Wife Savers. Please come to Wife Savers and let me teach you these things and then be able to share with others in our community to come to really, really understand them. I'd love for you to come be a part of Wife Savers and let me be be your personal mentor and teacher that way. We're going to break now for just a minute so I can invite you to my free live masterclass, Understanding Your Husband and Sons. In my work with women in over 70 countries, I found that most of us, when it comes to our husbands and sons, think like Carol in Kenya. I was expecting him to think like me, behave like me. Or Dana in Idaho. Shouldn't we just be the same and shouldn't we just agree? Or Anne in Oregon. I grew up in a culture where there was a lot of eye rolling and sighing about guys. And that's too bad because when we act or react based on false expectations, we end up feeling like Catherine or Farinaz. I didn't feel I could relate to him because I didn't understand him. thought maybe he had to do something with me, and I was taking it personally. Or getting riled up like Carol. Made me mad, I was crazy, I was, uh, it was frustrating, you know? And acting like Anne. I used to think he should know what I wanted without me having to ask. Which just erodes our relationships and blows up our dreams. So that's why I created Understanding Your Husband and Sons a super fun, eye-popping deep dive into his brain, body, and emotional makeup. Women have been coming from all over the world and coming away from our time together with an exhilarating sense of hope and power because now women like Amber, Anne, Dana, and Allison understand. How to communicate my needs. You know, how to be clear about it, how not to be run around, how not to manipulate. The way I communicate with him isn't any more aggressive or threatening to him. I can see why he's reacting or why he's responding that way. That's helped to avoid a lot of the hurt feelings that I used to have. So if like Jeannie, you're thinking, okay, I need to reboot how I think about marriage and men and how they're loved. Please join me at this free live masterclass, Understanding Your Husband and Sons. 
I'll teach you things you have never heard before and that you won't hear anywhere else. Science and strategies that will knock your socks off and make all the difference in your relationships. And it just changes everything about how I see him. There's this huge potential that I was not really tapping into because I didn't fully understand it. I think the biggest piece is this understanding and appreciation. We're both so much happier now. And in how you see yourself. My confidence as a woman has skyrocketed. We've made it so easy. Just go to wifesavers.org slash masterclass and choose a day and time. I'll meet you there and even answer your questions live. Because like Carol in Kenya or Cindy in Argentina, you'll want to be able to say, Oh, we're wired differently. And that's the beauty of life. And it set me free. It, it allowed me to say, okay, I understand now. And I loved him more than ever. Wifesavers.org slash masterclass. Oh, I recommend it to everyone I meet. Would you say that your in your experience and then uh, this topic of depression, that the male fears are that they are exhibited and made even worse, exacerbated when depression is oh. in place? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You They're could, magnified. Magnified, yeah. You could Times say here are these. You talk about the fears. Yeah, that any normal man is going to experience right. in a normal frame of mind. But you add in a clinical mental uh, struggle and illness. Yeah, they're on steroids. It's, yeah. Oh, good, good way to put it. Okay. So some of the male fears include the fear of uselessness, the fear of indifference or unavailability on your part. He doesn't like feeling neglected. Uh, he has to protect his independence. He's afraid of becoming dependent. Yikes. Mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. see how depression feeds yeah, into that. Yeah, you can't function. And of course, look at this one. The number one male fear is the fear of failure. Now that's like, oh yeah, nobody likes to fail. But ladies, if you're listening, you really need to understand a lot more about um, his very essence and nature and understand this is more than what, what you think of failure. <laughs> it means the world to him. So that would go into the anxiety issue, don't you think? His mm -hmm. fear of failure. Oh, sure. Whoa. Yeah. If you're afraid all the time, you're just failing, failing, yep. failing. All right. So we're trying to respond with compassion now. So we're going to remember the male fears. We're going to remember that he does have feelings. Well, I would hope you could remember Yeah, that. sometimes, though, women, we forget that. We forget that men really do have very deep feelings. Some scientists argue that they go deeper than even the average woman experiences. Very deep feelings. And they don't um, necessarily share with us. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean they don't crave to share. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, especially in this sense, when he's really scared and losing that zest that we talked about. He feels this depression. He may really crave sharing his feelings with her, but he does have an instinctive sense of self-protection. Tell me if I'm wrong. That may go even deeper than the craving to be understood. Hmm. So yeah. not only is he afraid of falling off the cliff unhinged and unchecked, if he exposes all the negativity raging inside of him, he may also feel reticent to be vulnerable with you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because he's afraid that if 
he reveals those feelings to you, ready for this? You will lose respect for him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You have to maintain that uh, perspective of in control and strong and capable and all those things. Yeah. And and the truth is, as we as women say, we want to really know what's going on with our husband. You know, women tell me that. Yeah. I want to feel close to yeah. him. But what they really what they really mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, this is just what I've learned from working with hundreds of women. I don't mean to be insulting. But what we actually mean is we want him to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. <laughs> yeah. This let me share with you how much you mean to me. When he starts to share with us negative things and and show how truly vulnerable he is, it does unsettle us. We feel a little bit of our world shaking. And so um, yeah, that's one of the things we learn in Wife Saviors is to how to draw him out and then how to handle it yeah. when we find out what he's really thinking. Yeah. Don't ask unless you really, <laughs> want, really to want to know. Yeah. Here's a really interesting statistic. statistic. The National Institute on Mental Health tells us, get this, are you ready for this? It takes the average person, male or female, suffering from mental illness over 10 years to ask for help. 10 years. No joke. Wow. The average, the average. The average. So he could be suffering. He might have been suffering for years and years and years during their marriage. And I mean, I'm, I I know listeners right now are think that are have the are, their suspicions are going, oh, they can think back mm-hmm. years and years mm-hmm. and years of him being overly angry and overly mm-hmm. negative or, or overly sad or whatever. And say, oh my gosh. Yeah, I think... Over 10 years. Yeah, I can see how, you know, especially couples, they they fall into their norm, their right. normal. Right. And yet certain things, and we've known people and, and associates that have gone through this, that when something kind of uncovers the situation, uh, okay? Yeah, unearthed. You get to Yeah, you get to a critical mass or mm-hmm. or whatever that point mm-hmm. is for an individual or a couple's lives. Mm-hmm. The the people that are involved are look back and they go, oh, why didn't I see this? Why didn't I see you know, it? Why didn't now I, I do can something see about it? When it becomes more defined. Yeah, and so, hindsight. yeah, that's really... Ten years. Really a challenge, yeah. Wow. Well, I congratulate the wives that wrote to us who don't want those ten years. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to make something happen now. So um, so going back to the male fears really quick, I don't know that I, I kind of glan- went over them too fast maybe. I really want to emphasize that the fear of failure, the, not just failure in the world's eyes, but failure in your eyes, that you will think less of him. No, I think that, yeah, that... <sighs> I got right? that. Yeah, okay, that you got across. that. The yeah. fear of exposure. Mm-hmm. What about this one? He's afraid to tell you because you might tell others. Mm, yeah, right. No, that's exactly the right. The fear of exploitation that you might burn him someday mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the idea that he's mentally ill, right? Use it against him. Uh-huh. And so when you think about, I mean, put on your compassionate self. When you think about how crucial status or respect is to a man. I mean, it's his lifeblood. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. his reason for living. And you need to come to Wife Savers to understand more about that. If you under, really comprehend then that, you can see how paralyzing mm-hmm. it would be for him to think that if he tells you what's really going on in his heart, 
that you will think of less of him. Yeah, right. Or how abhorrent the possibility that you would expose his weaknesses mm -hmm, to mm -hmm, others. Mm -hmm. Or how gut-wrenching if you turn it on him someday. Yeah, that vulnerability. When you're dealing with it, you know, it's such a personal, intimate thing that you're um, dealing with yourself and then to be, feel like you're exposed. Or you're, right. it, it's a, I think I'm sure it's a very difficult thing to trust someone else exactly. with. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. But even, big you know, even if you have been mm -hmm. married or, you know, a couple for a long period of time, difficult to do, very so I would say one of my first recommendations is if we're going to approach this and hope that he does open up to us, then you got to be, you know, <laughs> make a pact with you yourself gotta, yeah, you'll be that ready. you're not going to use that information to hurt him or humiliate him or manipulate him, right? Because there's got, there's biological reasons, there's experiential reasons that that he's holding it in. Yeah, it has okay. to be a private thing to right. be successful. Well, any really successful communication is a yeah. balancing act yeah. between that sort of privacy or that intimacy and that, well, no, wait a minute. It's the intimacy between two people and the privacy that's sort of independence. And we know mm. how important mm -hmm. independence mm -hmm. is to him too. And it's her desire for intimacy and his need for independence and we're butting heads. Mm. Those two come to clash in lots of situations, but I would think mainly here. So ladies, you will never get close to him or draw him close to you. If you try to make connection, which is your primary focus in a way that threatens his independence, which is his primary focus. <laughs> Right? I think that's right. really, really key is this balance, as you say, between the intimacy and the independence. Mm -hmm. That's something that each couple has to figure out what their, how that works for them. Yes. Right? And it's a dance throughout your yeah, whole yeah. marriage. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> it goes it's, back and forth. It's a tango. It's a cha-cha. Yes. It's a waltz. It's a oh, two-step. <laughs> you got to so learn to dance differently. <laughs> but... Even though it might be tricky, we do want to bring it up, this idea, this concern about depression. We want to talk about it because open conversations really do help. Did you know that talking to someone about suicidal thoughts actually decreases the suicidal mm, risk? Really? Yeah. Yeah, because you'd be always afraid to say anything. And talking about it in the open gets rid of the stigma. Mm. right and it makes it easier for him to accept or ask for help andrew solomon tells this story oh it's so funny he did one of his classes presentations i'm not sure which and a woman comes from the audience and says you know i i've been suffering from depression for years i'm, I'm on medication and everything but i have never admitted it to my husband i'm i'm afraid to tell him about it later the same event, a man came up to her and said, you know, I've been suffering with <laughs> depression for years. I, I'm being helped a little by medication, but I have never admitted it to my wife. Guess what? They're a couple. They were married. <laughs> they, were couple. they were hiding their medicine from each other. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay. So that's the whole point, you know? It is. We. Yeah, that's that's the, the old thing. song. Do you like pina coladas? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about how to talk about it. I'm going to, you know, when on-ramp, 
onto a freeway mm-hmm. or even on an approach on a bridge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're thinking about. How do we make the first step one? We got to make the approach. Mm-hmm. How do we mm-hmm. do that? Well, it's got to be good time. It's got to be the right place. You got to be close in you know, I wouldn't do it over by text. All right? Yeah, so that's right. Proximity. Especially in all caps. Um, yes. And it needs to be respectful. You, know, you need to be respectful of the mm-hmm, time mm-hmm, and the place and the proximity. Mm-hmm. You're not going to interrupt him during the Super Bowl or whatever. Well, right? you know, I, I teach, uh, in teaching sales, I use this bridge analogy. Um, oh, you do? And the approach analogy. Okay. Because, you know, the whole idea of building bridges with a customer Oh, there you go. That's part of a relationship. It is. And sometimes, you know, you meet in the middle. Sometimes you're a little on one side and sometimes Uh, you're a little on another. It depends. Sometimes you have to go way across the bridge to reach the other person. That's right. And uh, But the approach, how you approach has everything to do. And you look Mm -hmm. at the design of major bridges like your favorite, the Brooklyn Brooklyn Bridge or the Golden Mm -hmm. uh, Gate Bridge. And if they don't design the approach properly... You ain't going to have a bridge, okay? Uh, And so it's critical, just absolutely critical uh, to that relationship. On any kind of critical conversation? Any kind, absolutely. Whether it's sales or it's marriage or we're going to bring up the idea that I'm worried that you're depressed. Yep, absolutely. So here's some ideas for ways to make that approach. Uh, You got to keep it pretty open-ended is the point. Mm-hmm. Making some kind of statement. Or assumptions. Assumption. There yeah, you go. Yeah. So here we go. Maybe it's me, but dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. I've noticed you've been down. What's going on? Mm-hmm. There's a question. We haven't talked for a while. How are you? Um, you're not yourself lately. What's up? I know... You're going through whatever at work. I just want you to know I'm here for you, dot, dot, dot. These all have dot, dot, dots after. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, sweetheart, you know that no matter what, I've got your back. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting approach. I haven't heard you laugh for a while. Are you okay? I'm worried about you. I really want to help. Yeah, I think that those can be very helpful, but I also can see, and and having gone through some periods where I know that you've been worried about me, mm-hmm. and and I'm talking days or a week or something, right. you know, not a extended period of time, but I would say that if you if you were to say you're not yourself lately, or mm-hmm. then I would say, well, of course I am. I'm myself. Mm, that would be your immediate. Yeah, my reaction would. Be, I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. And I, and if you said that to me, I would say, well, I appreciate that. I'm just telling you from my point of view. Yeah. You're not laughing like you should. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really a good. The indicators. Ah, the indicators. Uh, that a couple, you know, learns. Uh, uh, like like I've said before, I know you're really happy when I catch you singing around the house <laughs> just for no reason. Uh, On a clear Whatever. Yes. And so I think those are powerful mm. ways to go at it rather than coming across being almost judgmental, like ah. you're not acting the way you should be. Oh. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. okay. I stand corrected. I like no, that. No, I, mean, I, I, I think like that. those good All ways right. to start conversations. I do but... want to say, tell, point out something to avoid. And that's if you have never experienced depression yourself, Mm. Avoid comparing it mm. to times when you felt down. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you compare it to, oh, I mean, to ordinary 
sadness, you're just going to make them feel guilty yeah. for struggling. Or, or yeah, you can't possibly understand right. you know, what I'm going to do. Don't through. go there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. When, in trying to relate, if you've never had this kind of depression, you just better not to try. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, those are the approach. Now let's get into the actual conversation. Okay, so from my side of the bridge, if I'm the wife, I'm concerned about my husband. From my side of the bridge, I'm going to keep it light. Did you hear my tone of voice mm-hmm. when I asked you those questions? Mm-hmm. They were gentle. Right, right. They were light. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't over dramatic. No, or accusatory. I, no, or... I didn't say, you know, I know you're going through such hard times. <laughs> yeah, I said, right. hey, I know you're going through yeah. hard times. Yeah. So it's not overly dramatic. You're not going to overreact. And you're not going to be overly cheerful either, right? Mm. This is not the hey, time. Hey, <laughs> okay. So you listen a lot. You let him lead. You avoid. This all the things that you would like for him to do, of course. Avoid advice or trying to fix. Let him know that it's okay to feel the way he feels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just got to ask a lot of open-ended questions. You don't demand answers or force the issue. So if he's like, I don't know, I don't know. You're not like, well, keep thinking. Come yeah, on. There's got to be some reason. No, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a cop out. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, wrong, yeah. wrong. Okay. You assure him that you won't judge him. And this isn't going to change how you feel about him. Remember all those fears? We need to... Mm-hmm. We need to counter those fears. I think that's one of Saying, the strongest this isn't ones. This going to change how I feel about you. Yeah, I think that's one of the strongest ones. I think for me that I could feel uh, that I could uh, um, anchor onto okay. or whatever. If I told you straight up, listen, yeah. it's you're safe. I right. this isn't going to change yeah. how I feel about you. Yeah, I think you. that's huge. And in that vein, you got to reassure him that you understand. Understand that depression is a disorder, not a personal failing, mm-hmm. right? That you don't think that he's weak. You know he's not choosing to feel the way he does. Just think of it like he has a broken leg or asthma or diabetes, mm-hmm. right? You, it's going to take time to figure it out. It's going to take time to heal. And mm-hmm. you understand that and you make sure he knows that you understand that. Yeah, that's good. All right. Now, what what do you do when he actually does then open up? All right, so we've we've talked about the approach, and we've talked about your side of the bridge. What about when he starts inching his way out on his side of the bridge? That, that could be one of the scariest times. Yeah, you know? there you go. He's giving you those negative yeah, feelings. You're like, what uh, are you going to do with that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Exactly. Andrew Solomon says, I love this. You don't think in depression that you've put a gray you've put on a gray veil and you're seeing the world through the haze of a bad mood. You think that the veil has been taken away, the veil of happiness, and that now you're seeing truly. It's mm. easier to help mm-hmm. schizophrenics who perceive that there's something foreign inside of them that needs to be exercised, but it is difficult with depressives because we believe we are seeing the truth interesting yeah life is very dismal Mm, you're mm, gonna die mm, anyway mm. eeyore yeah oh bother (laughs) i think that's very interesting though don't you yeah that really is it isn't that there's a veil put over your eyes it's the veil of happiness has been been, taken away So we're going to treat his emotions, his revelations, and his confidences with what? What would you want him to be treated with? 
Well, we've talked about yeah, feeling safe. So I would say, you know, being respectful. There you go. Yeah. We're going to treat them with respect as if they are complete, valid. Mm -hmm. He has every right to them, to his feelings. All right. We're going to listen with love. That is with compassion. So remember the male fears. We're going to compassion. He can't help all (laughs) those things. Listen objectively in an emotion coaching frame of reference and that's you know that's that's not a natural thing for people being a coach you know i I do that in my work with salespeople, coaching them uh, as groups and as individuals and it's an art you know and and i think a lot of the things that we learn it in life yeah a lot of the things you Mm -hmm. teach are are really you know Mm -hmm. coaching i wish we had time to go into it today because it is an art that's a good way to put it um, all right. So choosing to listen, understand, and sympathize with his less than positive emotions, um, instead of dismissing them <laughs> as unimportant or weak or threatening, mm-hmm. it's just absolutely critical to encouraging that closeness be- between the two of you that you really, really want. Any other reaction versus response is going to drive him away. And now things just really spiral even more out of control. If you're driving him away, yeah. talk about isolation. We're not trying to increase our isolation. We're trying to draw closer together so you can be a real partner, a real help. All right. So we're not going to overreact. We're not going to take it personally. We're not going to try to fix him. But what we will do is listen with love in the context of the male fears. We're going to listen objectively. That's the motion coaching. And we're going to use the phrase, we've talked about this before, it's key, help me understand. Help me understand. If every spouse in the world could learn those three words, (laughs) I would be out of a job. (laughs) Help me understand. Help me understand. All right. Listen, this is so so much fun. This is... uh, uh, Andrew again, and he's talking, remember he talked about how he believes he's in depression. He's actually seeing the truth, Mm -hmm. but the truth lies. He said, I became obsessed with that sentence, but the truth lies. And I discovered as I talked to depressive people that they have many delusional perceptions. People will say, no one loves me. And you say, I love you. Your wife loves you. Your mother loves you. You can answer that one pretty readily, at least for most people, but people who are depressed will also say, no matter what we do, we're all just going to die in the end. Yeah. <laughs> or they'll say, there is no true communion between hum- two human beings. Each of us is trapped in his own body. Now, here it is. This is so key. This is worth the whole podcast. <laughs> to which you have to say, that's true. But I think we should focus right now on what to have for breakfast. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It's the last thing you'd expect him to say. I know we're all ready for these great Columbia University PhD words of wisdom. There can be no true communion between human beings. We're all trapped in our own bodies. (laughs) Well, that's true. But I think we should focus right now on what we're going to have for breakfast. (laughs) I love that so much. Helping you. What is the lesson? Taking these little baby steps. Taking you away, yeah. These little baby steps. 
that seems, remember how he mm -hmm. said he sees a blinking light on the answering machine, you know, getting up and answering the phone. There's a lot of people who don't know what that means. Because <laughs> <laughs> your answering machine is your... We're dating ourselves. <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. Well, All it's right. true. It's true. All right. This is the fourth step in our conversation. Okay. Of course, we have to, what are we even talking for? If he's going to be so... Yeah. What's it? What's... What's why why it worth it? Yes. Yeah. We got to get to a solution, mm -hmm, right? So mm -hmm. we're going to explore solutions. How do we do that? Well, medications and therapy. It's probably going to be a combination of those two things, but there are some practical sort of everyday strategies that can be combined with medications and therapy that can boost brain chemicals. So there's hope. That's the main thing. So you let him know that you believe there are solutions and here's, how we do that. First, we decide we're going to involve him as much as possible in that in the solution. Exploratory yeah. and that decision-making process. So rather than saying you need to get out of the house and go outside today. You need some sunshine. Get out. You're not going to do it that way. Okay? We mm -hmm, got to involve mm -hmm. him. So rather we'd say, I'd like to get outside today. Would you rather go for a walk to, in the park or see a movie? So See, choices. you're involving him. Yeah, right. right. All right. So that's number one, involve him. Number two, if you're going to offer input when he does open up, be soft about it and do it in the form of a question like, well, what do you think about or what do you think would happen if dot, dot, dot. So that question approach is the best way to alleviate his fear of losing his independence yeah. if you will yeah, or becoming in and controlling and yes, telling you're him what not going to gonna do. be controlling really you got to remember that for any man <laughs> for most of us actually it's important for him to be able to think for himself and problem solve independently and protect that independent state all right that's number two number three is offer to help with specific tasks like what would you like for breakfast? Let's mm. focus on what we're going to have for breakfast. Remember, those little steps can seem very insurmountable mm -hmm, to a person mm -hmm. with depression. So, for instance, you could say, would you like me or may I look up some therapists in the area? Mm -hmm. That first step, you know, make could I make a list of questions for the doctor's visit? You know, but I, I, I'm going to go back to the breakfast thing because for a lot of people, those, like you say, those little steps are very, very difficult. Especially the first Yes, steps. right, right, right. And so uh, appreciating that just having breakfast can be a big win yeah. for people. There you go. Right. Or even making that first phone call yeah. to the doctor right, or whatever. Right. And then fourth, if he refuses or is slow to help himself... Do not force anything. Mm. It doesn't Patience. work. It never <laughs> works. So instead, you provide genuine praise for the small successes. And you're going to avoid sarcasm. You're going to avoid accusatory kind of speech. We, it would be really good to go back to our podcast about negative, turning negative communication mm -hmm. to the positive. Mm -hmm. This would be, that'd be a really good sister podcast to listen to this one. And it is one of our most popular episodes. So I know it's a real issue. Turning negative communication to the positive. So see, there's a big difference between I value your mental health and I want to see you accomplish your goals. Now compare that to you never do anything for yourself. Mm, yeah. You never do anything for yourself. You mm -hmm. need to do something for yourself. So much better. I value your mental health and I want to 
see you accomplish. And you're, I mean, you're ultimately, uh, hopefully, uh, accomplishing the same thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Negative. But it's just positive. how you it's get how there. how you phrase it. Yeah. That's right. So you just got to keep remembering and keep reminding him that depression is a medical condition, not a weakness or a personality trait. All right. Um, so this is going to be an ongoing challenge. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be <laughs> a process to figure it out and to work with it. And I have some real life examples of that. I have one of my students who, this is how she started to cope herself because we've talked about helping him. How do you help you? Mm -hmm. She said, I stopped crying every night. Mm, yeah. When, when the ladies cry, yeah. guys, you have like, so I she's know crying I every night crying. and that's just making it worse on him yeah. because he's starting to feel like he's responsible yeah. for her sadness. Very difficult. So now he's major failure, right? Right. I stopped micromanaging and planning his future. <laughs> she says, I became that, yeah. responsible for my own happiness and started dancing. <laughs> and we both became accepting of our circumstances. I started to grow professionally without regrets. She really wanted mm. to be a stay-at-home mom, but she just finally accepted mm. that that wasn't that was realistic. Yeah. And he started to look at his overall growth as a human and be thankful for being a husband, a father, and an individual and okay with where we were in life. So they were both trying hard to reframe, be accepting. And we both worked together to find the right medication match and the right therapist. And I know from working with my students that that is a process. Yeah. Sometimes they go from therapist to therapist to therapist till they finally yeah. Or medication click. to medication to medication. Yes, she says, we have done over five medication changes and changed the therapist from a cheesy lady to a low-key biker male. <laughs> what is a low-key biker male? I'm struggling I to know. visualize that she one. She says he's a down-to-earth therapist that could reason with him as a man. <laughs> so they just kept looking. They didn't give up and say, oh, therapy didn't work. Right. Like, no, 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 yeah, no, no. It's a Ther process. Yeah, you got to find the right person. Now, here's one other example. This student says, before I met my husband, I didn't fully comprehend what clinical depression was. So it was a real big deal for her. And it took a long time for her to finally understand what it got. I mean, she really shares quite a, quite a story here. So here is how she's learned to cope with it because they've been married for a long time. They've got four children now and, and she's just, this is part of life for her. Mm -hmm. And she says, I've granted myself permission to enjoy my delights. Mm. Now, ladies, you need to go back and listen to the podcast episode about finding balance. And we, do you remember that one? Mm -hmm. Really important to understand what delights are about. And if you're part of the Wife Savers program, um, I'm going to teach you all about that. But I've been granted, I've granted myself permission to enjoy my delights. I've intentionally planned or scheduled so that I can avoid fatigue, resentment, blame, and anger. She likes shopping at thrift stores. <laughs> I kind of relate to you that. You can relate to that. <laughs> that is one of my major delights. You've bought the same thing twice at Goodwill, <laughs> I think. I kind of rent things from Goodwill and I take them <laughs> back and donate right. them again. 
I've invested in some of my dazzles. That's another part of the delights program, which has brought added meaning to my life. I've shared my story with others so that she doesn't feel alone. I've accepted mentoring from those who are educated and experienced. I've accepted service from friends in my area, including service for herself. And That's a her hard thing for people to do. There's a lot of people are really good at giving service, but accepting is can be really difficult. And now so here's, a, I'm putting stars around this one. I've sought professional care by going to therapy myself. Mm -hmm. She's got a very unusually heavy load and she recognizes it. Mm -hmm. And so she's gotten help for herself. Remember, she's accepted service. She's um, got, she's gotten more education on the subject. She's accepted or actually sought out mentoring, including mm -hmm. from me. And she sought professional therapy herself. I've attended, she says, 12-step meetings mm. geared towards my own mental health conditions, which mm -hmm. has increased her sense of community. She goes with her husband to his therapy and psychiatry appointments so she can ask questions, right? She's given herself permission to slow down on all the other commitments in life. Like I just can't do what I see everybody else doing. Yeah, you change your priorities. Uh -huh. yeah. I've given myself permission to grieve. I've cried, journaled, shared, and acknowledged the death of expectations. Hmm. Wow, that's part of that accepting process. I've given myself permission to do things that are considered out of the norm or stop doing things in the name of false expectations so our family can concentrate on proper healing and care. I'm honest with people if they ask how I'm doing. I've communicated clear boundaries to people who are well-intentioned but misinformed. <laughs> that's, that's, I could <laughs> fall into that category. There's a lot of them out there. When my husband is having an off day, I tap into the strategy of using indulgence or distraction to help him combat the depression. Mm. That's something. So they Some found something that helps that strategies. Yeah. I remind myself that even if there are things out of control, my higher power is my center. Mm. So she taps into her higher power, into her God. And when it's been time to seek out advanced levels of care, even hospitalization, I follow through even with higher costs. So even if she's scared of what it's going to cost, mm -hmm. she'll still take him to the hospital mm. if necessary. Um, seeing others where appropriate, uh, serving others, I mean, helps me get out of my head. So she, it isn't just that she lets everyone serve yeah, her. No, she tries to engaged. serve. She'll reach out to trusted friends. She likes to listen to uplifting music and books. And I just absolutely love all of those. Those are fabulous strategies. And and what a a lesson or lessons she's learned yeah. to to just manage and cope and yeah. and it's multifaceted. Yes. It's I not mean, just one thing oh, that's yeah. gonna solve it. You heard that long list. Yeah. We could have gone into any one of those yeah, um, totally. as being a viable strategy. And she's got a list of like twenty five strategies involved there. So it is a multi pronged mm -hmm. approach. Um, so, but what I love about both of these women now is that they have learned to take care of themselves. Yeah. Depressed people are often perceived as being self-centered, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because all the focus and energy is caught up in dealing with their disorder. So you might need to turn to other people, to friends and family members for support and encouragement, for counseling, a support group, 
to learn those kind of positive coping skills. That's what, what she did, obviously. And where would be like an absolutely best place in the world to do that? Wife Savers! <laughs> Come to Wife Savers and you can learn those positive coping skills for yourself. All right. I want to wrap this up with a really fun quote by Heidi Freeb. I think that's how you say her last name. To love someone long-term is to attend a thousand funerals of the people they used to be. Wow. That, we could just hit the stop button right now. That's amazing. Say it again. To love someone long-term is to attend a thousand funerals of the people they used to be. Mm -hmm. The people they've too, they're too exhausted to be any longer. The people they don't recognize inside themselves mm -hmm. anymore. The people they grew out of. The people they never ended up growing into. We so badly want the people we love to get their spark back when it burns out. To become speedily found when they are lost. But it is not our job to hold anyone accountable to the people they used to be. It is our job to travel with them between each version and to honor what emerges along the way. Sometimes it will be an even more luminescent flame. Sometimes it will be a flicker that disappears and temporarily floods the room with a perfect and necessary darkness. So Ramona, the talk around town is about some sort of masterclass that you've got going? <laughs> is that what I'm hearing on the yeah. underground? And I know you don't like the part of about the emotional underbelly. Yeah, that kind of feels like I'm getting ripped open like a fish. <laughs> you kind of are, but under... it really opens women's eyes and I think they're gonna love it. All they have to do is go to wisesavers.org slash masterclass. Home is with you wherever that may 